Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Bird. Um, my co-host, Matt, is not with us uh, because he just uh, had his second child uh, a few days ago. So he is uh, playing father to a newborn, um, but that's okay. We're keeping the the uh, the train rolling here and um, joining me is, as always, uh, my, well, not always, but most of the time, our other uh, co-host, um, Kevin Derendorf of Mazer Patrol. Hello, hello. I get to be a substitute for Matt today, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, although you, you're, you're more or less the third host of the show at this point. Although, uh, you know, you, you still have your Mazer Patrol blog and, uh, and, podcast that you you run so well um on on rare occasions yes yes uh anyway um we're joined by a special guest uh the director eric mckeever mckeever i said that right correct yes yes you did uh thank you all right um so, uh, Eric uh, directed uh, the recent film EK Boys, uh, the independent film that just hit streaming services last October. Um, uh, I reached out to him, I think, in December, and he was uh, up to some uh, shenanigans in Japan, and we had to wait for him to come back in the new year. Um, so, uh, yeah, Eric, uh, thank you for... Um, uh, you know, making uh, time for us in your, uh, I guess, busy travels and holiday season. Oh, uh, you're welcome. No, it, it is. Uh, it is my pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it was a it was a busy trip to Japan. Um, actually, so I guess at some point during this conversation, um, I should uh, maybe Kevin and I should tell our origin story. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was. That's uh, you read my mind because uh, the two of you have actually met before in a pretty uh wild kind of chance meeting <laughs> so um yeah, yeah I'll, I'll i'll let the two of you kind of uh uh tell that story yeah uh well uh i mean i i, I there there's two sides of the same story okay kevin you want to uh launch into it i i think i think from my perspective it's weirder so i'll go <laughs> from my from my side there so well um uh, so so um I mean, it's pretty weird from my side too. So, uh, do do you want to um, do we want to start with the start with the extra weird and uh, th- then sort of? Uh, it, it'll be like Rashomon, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say uh, start with the weird. So, so yeah, like 
I was uh, I was in Japan uh, visiting um, uh, Amanda, who's now my wife, but she was living in Japan, um, and uh, we so happened to go out to this uh, this bar in Shinjuku that I had heard about. Um, and it's just a small little place, and there's maybe four tables in the place, and we're sitting there, and this group of people walk in and, and sit down uh, behind Amanda. And I, I look up and I do a double take because I'm like, well, one, one of those guys sure looks like Kiyotaka Taguchi. That would be crazy if that was Kiyotaka Taguchi. Like, that, there's no way. Uh, and I'm like sitting there like, eh, it sure looks like him. And I like thinking of like, well, maybe I'll like surreptitiously take a photo and send it to like Bird and see if, <laughs> if he agrees with me. But uh, anyway, Amanda, uh, she strikes up a conversation with this guy. Eric, who's who's sitting right behind her, because this is a tiny little place, um, and uh, you know everybody kind of is is in proximity and, and sort of chit chatting with each other. And Eric's like, "Oh, you like Ultraman? My friend here directs Ultraman." <laughs> so I'm like, "Ah, yes, I I suspect this as much." And at that point, Taguchi's like, "What? You you know who I am?" So that was a that was a strange experience for me. Okay, so uh, my end of the story, um, it, it, you have to go back a few years to uh, make sense of it. So um, a few years back, I had a short film, um, played at uh, a bunch of different film festivals, and one of them was the um, U-Body uh, Fantastic Film Festival up in Hokkaido. And uh, that's just, so just, th that festival is just a ton of fun. Um, but, you know, I was there, was hanging out, talking with the filmmakers, and um, I ended up at a table uh, with Taguchi-san. And, uh, so, you know, we were talking about what we do and, you know, he was talking about his work and sort of, you know, the, the tokusatsu and sort of kaiju writ large came up and, you know, there, there's kind of the, there, there's sort of the smell test you do when you're meeting new fans for the first time. It's like, oh, you know, well, you know, what's your favorite this, what's your favorite that? And so, you know, uh, Godzilla came up and I kind of, you know, oh, so, you know, what, wh what's your favorite Godzilla film, Eric? Uh, and, uh, so I, I always, I, I always kind of, uh, you know, hesitate and put a little, uh, asterisk next to it. Cause I'm like, Oh no, it's, it's a, it's a bit of an unpopular choice. And, you know, don't, don't think the less of me, but it's like, I, you know, I saw it at a young age and it's like, Oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? And it's like, well, it's like, I, I really love space Godzilla, which point Tagadi son's eyes light up because it was like, he, it is also his favorite Godzilla film. And we get into this whole thing about like, Oh, it's so underappreciated. And like, you know, Oh, we got to like, you know, and so we, you know, this is within five minutes of meeting one another. And it's like, okay, we are going to be friends. So, um, go back to Tokyo and we organize a group of, uh, like-minded individuals. We dub ourselves the, the space, the space Godzilla club. <laughs> and we get together about once every month to watch. So, so it began sort of, uh, to introduce, some 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 versions to the the joys of of space godzilla and then it expanded to you know basically a like a rewatch of the heisei series um we meet once a month and it, it, it sort of you know the conversation and the drinks will get going and it, it would evolve into a, a, a if i'm being uh honest a all-night affair um and so when i met you that would have been that would have been after rewatching um uh, the uh, Mothra, um, 
And uh, so, yeah, so we were, I think we were about three bars in at that point, but it came to like, oh, let's go to Pronton because that's, so it's the, the, the bar Pronton, um, which is, you know, the thing that Kevin didn't mention is, yeah, it's a tiny little place and all four walls are packed with a fantastic collection of uh, figures of uh, all things kaiju and tokusatsu. So uh, it's just sort of a place that we will always end up at the Spagoji Kai. And, uh, yeah, it was like, it's a hard, as you know, Kevin, it is a hard place to find. It is down <laughs> a side street. And I think what, like seven, nine floors up, um, it's, it's like a, above a brothel or something. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that, that's, uh, yeah, it, it is indeed, um, right adjacent to the red light district. Um, side story, I actually spent a summer living, um, around there, uh, well, it's 10 years ago now, and um, that is not good for your health to live around there. There's just, there's so much, uh, how do I, uh, light and noise pollution, um, you know, getting woken up in the middle of the night by people yelling at one another, and yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's pretty intense, uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, it's a, it's always a rare treat to, to run into like-minded people, and, you know, it, it takes some work to, it takes some work to get to that bar, so um, uh, I knew we'd be friends. Uh, the weirdest thing about uh, all of that is that there's people whose favorite Godzilla movie is Space Godzilla. <laughs> we're, we, we're a well. That, that's the thing about it is it is it's it cult classic would indeed be the word because it is a small, passionate, um, and I would also say rather insecure group of individuals. <laughs> Yeah, that, that definitely doesn't come up often, even even when you're in the uh, what's the most underrated Godzilla movie discussions. That that's a rarity. Well, I mean, I I always have to you know because I, I you know I'm not saying best, I'm not saying you know sort of most important. Yes, yeah, it, it, yep. it, it, it is. Yeah, there's a difference between best and favorite for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, there's no accounting for taste, as they say. Right, right. So, um, aside from crazy chance meetings with uh, um, nerds in Japan, um, what I guess uh, let let's get to know you a little bit about, uh, like a little bit about your your background with um, sure. you know film and you know what led to your interest in filmmaking and you know deciding it was something that you know you you really wanted to do. Yeah. Well. Um, so. I mean, there's a cute little story that I tell that is, um, I mean, it, it's, I'm being a little bit glib with it, but it's entirely true, which is, um, you know, I never outgrew my dinosaur phase. I think a lot of little kids get into dinosaurs and some of us just never stop being into dinosaurs. Yep. Um, and so that was the start of it. And so, um, so I was born in 1986. Um, so you know, there, there's a fair amount of, of dinosaur media out there now, but there wasn't, th there weren't many dinosaur films available when I was really young yeah. that were really either bad or frightening. Um, and so, you know, my parents being good, protective parents, they wanted to show things to me that, that I would like, but that wouldn't traumatize me. Uh, and what was available was uh, Godzilla films. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think they thought very much of it at the time, but it, uh, something, uh, something there really planted a seed. And, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I actually, uh, remember distinctly, I, I mean, I was really young. I mean, it's probably, uh, we're talking age six or something. 
uh, was watching uh, Monster Zero for, I mean, I, I'd seen it several times at that point, but there was a moment where it clicked in my head. Now, wait a minute. Um, you know, the, so of course this is, this is dubbed VHSs from Blockbuster. Yeah. Um, but there was a moment where it clicked in my head. Now, wait a minute. Like they're, the words they're speaking don't quite match the way their mouths move. And, you know, th- this sounds, you know, it sounds cute when you hear an adult saying that, but it's like, it was, it was a big thing at the time. And then, and that it, almost instantly that triggered this thought now wait a minute like the just this this doesn't look like uh um so i mean i, I grew up in uh, in oklahoma this this doesn't look like oklahoma this doesn't look like america like those houses look different um and I mean, it's funny but over the course of re-watching that film i it just like it was like these tumbler blocks clicking into place in my head like oh wow like there are parts of the world that are very different. Um, and like this, I, I want to know more about this. Um, I want to know more about this place that you know, has created this, these films that I love. Um, and that just, you know, there are just some things that stick with you at a young age that you just kind of hold on to. Um, and I just, I mean, I, I, I had gotten bitten by the bug and it's like, I knew, I knew I was interested in Japan. I knew I loved Japanese films. And um, I, so I just, I stuck with that. Now the thing running parallel alongside this is, uh, you know, I think um, they're just, I mean, a lot of us are, you know, are creative uh, in, in some form or fashion as children. And I mean, I just, I was, I was a little kid. I, I like to draw. I like to tell stories. Um, I, you know, I would daydream and, come up with, uh, you know, come up with stories that, uh, eventually when I could write, I wrote them down before I could, I, before I could write, I would, uh, dictate them to my mother and she would write them down for me. And, you know, I was into, so a lot of different forms of storytelling, be it drawing or writing or acting. And, um, around, um, the age of, uh, 13, I sort of realized, oh, wow, well, you know, with film, I can, I kind of don't have to choose. Like with film, I can, do all of these different forms of art all at once. And that just, you know, so just kind of stuck with that. Um, and, you know, I was making films uh, uh, as a kid, uh, did my first feature in high school. Uh, you know, you know, it's a, it's a high school movie. So uh, mini DV tapes and uh, made with allowance money. Uh, but, you know, it's sure. I'm proud of the ingenuity and the passion. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, I had these parallel interests in um, uh, in sort of in the wider world, Japan specifically, and um, and in filmmaking. Uh, and you know, I, I so I, I went to a a little liberal arts college, uh, and is known for uh, as a school called Kenyon College, and it was known for uh, the the writers it's produced. Um, so, like um, Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes, he's one of their their famed graduates. And I thought like, oh, wow, this would be like the perfect school for me. And then I got there. It's an excellent school. Um, found that, you know, it's a lot of people people there pursuing writing are just kind of sitting and either writing or getting high all the time. And I, I don't know, I, I wanted to be a little less sedentary than that. Uh, and I thought, well, this is, you know, I've always wanted to study Japanese. Like, this is a time where I can really devote myself to that. 
Uh, and so I did. I ended up majoring in Japanese and uh, went to Japan for the first time to study abroad. And a few things happened during that year. I mean, I made some friends then who um, they were just in the the sort of the, the film clubs uh, at the university I was at. And, uh, you know, this is the thing about um, learning another language. Like the best way to, to get really good in another language is to to use it, um, but use it talking about things you care about. So uh, I met one of my friends who I consider my best friend in the world. Uh, he's now also working as a director in Japan. Um, and we bonded over the fact that, so, you know, it, I, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I love tokusatsu and kaiju. And it's like, Oh, what's your favorite? And like, we, we ended up getting on like how awesome Gamera three is. And so like that, you know, just like, Oh wow. Like here's someone I can talk about Kaneko Shusuke with. And you know, that just like, so, you know, th- that was a, that was a real, um, big turning point. Um, I ended up getting cast in a Japanese play while I was there and going on tour around Japan. And I just kind of thought, okay, so like something is happening here where Japan is like, I'm, I'm really connecting here. Like the language is, is coming to me. I'm, I'm finding myself getting into the artistic community here. Um, so I went back after college and, um, yeah, I mean, I've done, um, I've been very lucky. I've been able to do a lot of different jobs in Japan. I worked um, in a gaming company. I worked um, in animation. Uh, you know, it, and um, you know, eventually been able to work in film. You know, it's it sort of uh, it, it, it. You know, it, the path up to directing. Uh, it's kind of you. You have to do many different things to climb up the ladder, um, but also kind of like the way to direct is direct. So there's always you know, making short films or, you know, I did, um, some, some really low budget independent things, um, ended up getting a master's, uh, from New York university. Um, and, uh, that opened many doors. Uh, and then the thesis film that I made there, that, uh, that opened even more doors and that's actually what led to a uh, body and uh, meeting uh, Tagish-san. Um, so, uh, I guess to sum it all up, there's kind of, um, just parallel interests in uh, in Japan and in in filmmaking, and uh, I just somehow have managed to. I've been uh, stubborn enough and lucky enough to build a life based off of things that I was into when I was uh, about five years old. Uh, so, so uh, what all were you uh, working on in animation? Out of curiosity. Yeah. Well. Um, it's a uh, it's an interesting um, kind of cautionary tale. Uh, I uh, was at a, a studio um, and uh, I was in charge of. I, I was uh, basically the creative producer um, who was developing um, some original feature projects uh, in house. And um, I mean, it was really cool because I was working with the directors in the company and interfacing with a team of uh, French designers. Oh, okay. Who, uh, to um, uh, to do uh, design work for them, but it was great. I mean, because I was, you know, I was uh, so there was the tra- translation aspect of it, but I was, you know, I was also the pr- the producer in charge of it. So I was, you know, giving a lot of notes and uh, helping develop things. And um, you know, I'm going to sort of choose my words carefully here, uh, but you know, because being a public forum, but it, you know, as as happens, a lot of things, these films never saw the light of day. So it was a lot of work by a lot of good people that, uh, you know, it just, it ultimately didn't pan out. But, but, uh, I made, uh, 
a lot of really good friends from it and uh, have continued to work with those friends. So it's, uh, you know, um, it, on the one hand, it was a bummer. On the other hand, it was, uh, it was a huge, uh, big opportunity. Cool. Actually, I, I, I think from, I, I might have an idea of who you might be referring to just from those, uh, <laughs> from those hints, but, um, yeah, yeah it, uh, it sounds like, you know, uh, every time I hear a story about, uh, you know, a foreigner, uh, who's gotten work in doing, doing film stuff in Japan, it's, it's been, you know, like, um, Bueno or, uh, Norman England, it's always been kind of a surreptitious journey to get there. So it's, yeah, it's interesting yeah. to hear that. Um, so, yeah, um, um, and, and it's also a bit of a dance you have to play because, um, you know, the Japanese film industry, uh, is so Byzantine and so bizarrely structured that it's like, there's, there's absolutely no, I, well, I mean, it, never say never, but it is, uh, it, difficult bordering on impossible to work your way up the ranks of the Japanese studio system. And that's if you're Japanese, mm -hmm. uh, if you're foreign, uh, it, the odds become negligible. Uh, so, um, I've, I've seen kind of your, I, th I think your most recent short, but, uh, can, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about some of the, some of the earlier ones? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I mean, uh, so yeah, um, I'm a bit of a workaholic. Um, so, uh, in, yeah, so in high school, I, um, the, so the, the feature length film that I did then, it was, uh, the early, it was with my best friend at the time. Uh, we did, um, the early years of Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, where the conceit was, uh, Jack Sparrow was raised in the old West, um, and it's, uh, cowboys and native Americans and pirates all running amok. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, it is, uh, a bona fide hoot. Uh, really proud of that thing at age 19. Um, and, uh, so then, you know, in, in college, it was a lot of, uh, you know, it was a lot of video art stuff. Um, and I think some of it's online, some of it's, you know, I, I've, I've kept it all. It's all archived. Um, but when I got back to Japan, um, well, one thing is I, I ended up acting in a lot of friends, independent films. Um, so, uh, th there's, there's quite a few short Japanese science fiction films floating around there with a, uh, professor character played by me. I, I tend to get cast as professors. Um, I not, am not sure why. Um, but leading up to film school, I, um, so, um, it's actually not shorts at all. I, um, my, my calling card for film school was, uh, I did, uh, three feature films, and these were all uh, self-financed, done in my free time with my friends. Um, you know, there's sort of, there's all kinds of, you know, mistakes in them. But I'm, you know, I'm very, very proud of um, what I achieved technically. So uh, of those three, the one that I guess I would consider my opus is a, uh, it's a film called Buddha Bento. And, uh, so, uh, you know, the, the Buddha bento is the bento box. And if you eat the contents of the bento box, you are enlightened. Um, and, uh, as for what is in the brent, uh, bento box, um, it's, uh, it, it, it contains, uh, human brains. So the Buddha bento, it's three interlocking narratives, uh, involving a, um, all set in Japan, um, involving a, a PhD student who gets a portion of his brain stolen, a, um, wandering uh, drunken would-be prophet and a uh, 
novelist who starts hallucinating one of her characters. And uh, wackiness ensues. There are musical segments. Uh, there are fight scenes. Uh, it, uh, uh, it travels all over the place. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I mean, it's absolutely bananas. Um, and, of course, I would not and could not ever make a film like it again. But um, I think it showed enough brazenness to get me into a uh, elite uh, film school. Um, and... Yeah, uh, you know, um, I mean, NYU is awesome. It's an uh, incredibly difficult few years. Um, so I did do, um, you know, most of my short films then I, I did back in Japan. Um, so prior to thesis, I did um, a film shot way up in northern Japan. Um, and it was a little um, kind of a, um, it was like a, a brief encounter um, esque film is two two strangers uh, ending up stranded at a a small train station in the Japanese mountains, um, and so uh, no, nothing fantastical about it. Now it's a, a a love story between two lonely strangers. Um, so I think uh, it, it's funny because you know I, here I'm I'm talking to you about kaiju and all these other things, but uh, I I do have a uh, I guess a a very sentimental side and. Um, a lot of the films I've end up uh, ended up making were, you know, our love stories and are very, very sort of quiet and um, and small. Uh, and um, yeah, I, uh, I guess, uh, I guess I'm omnivorous as an artist. I like, you know, big crazy things. But I mean, I don't know. Life is a big canvas. Uh, you know, I, I think there's there's just as much uh, sort of truth and human value in uh, making a film about uh, about kaiju and making a film about uh, you know the connection that can happen between two strangers well I, yeah oh. I, I think that uh, having a diverse palette um makes makes the the, the big blockbuster type of stuff uh, better also yeah so, i agree yeah. well well that kind of segues into um i think probably outside of VK boys, the, the most readily or easily, uh, available, uh, film of yours is the short film paleo knot. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that goes with kind of the theme you were talking about, about, you know, the the strangers developing a sentimental connection. Uh, but I mean, beyond just that part, I mean, how did you come up with the, the concept for, for that one? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Paleonaut, it's, um, it's on the dust channel on YouTube. Um, it's, uh, uh, pretty readily accessible. Um, and, and then, and just to sort of title together, that was the film that, um, on the festival circuit where I connected with, uh, Tagachi-san. So, um, uh, in, uh, in this podcast interview, as in life, it is all connected. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so honestly, where, what that came from was, um, it, so that was that was my thesis project, um, uh, you know, master's program at film school, and I, you know, it, it was sort of a moment of clarity of, okay, this is you know, if this is sort of going to be my calling card out in the world, this needs to be a film about something that I really care about. Like my my heart needs to be in this, and I need to treat this. I don't know. I, I need to treat this, even though you know, God willing, it won't be the thing that goes on my tombstone. I need to treat it as though. It could be. Um, and so I basically, I, you know, I took some long walks and I thought about, okay, well, what, like, what do I really, really care about? Um, cause audiences sense 
authenticity. And it came down to two things. It came down to, well, uh, my oldest and deepest love is dinosaurs. So is there some way I can make a film about dinosaurs? Um, and then, uh, you know, I just can't help but, you know, think about, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're human beings and we, uh, we fall in love and our hearts get broken. And so I started thinking about, uh, you know, the, the romances I had and how they worked and how they haven't worked. And that's where I kind of thought, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe might be crazy, but maybe I can combine these things. Um, and so the, you know, the film, it's about a, an experiment to send a human being, back in time um and you know the the traveler's remains will be preserved as a fossil and then here in the future you know we can study and uh see uh you know if the subject survived um but the the conceit of the film is that it's a love story between a scientist studying the time traveler and the time traveler so it's two people who are in love but can't be together uh or maybe in some kind of cosmic way can they um and so, you know, it, as crazy as it might sound, I mean, it was a very, very personal film for me. Um, and I mean, I was able to put a lot of things into it that, you know, I, I sort of, I really deeply believe about, um, how, you know, moment, you know, small moments in time can last forever. And, you know, the human connections, even if, you know, e even if like, it, it seems like, a relationship might end. The fact that the relationship happened at all means that, you know, it was real and had value and that, that value is a, uh, a permanent thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of big ideas, um, in a short film, but I think actually the film was well received because, uh, you know, it, it you, you kind of, you know, if you sort of stretch those ideas out, they can kind of, you know, you put them under a microscope and you start examining them too much and they can sound kind of crazy, but put them in a short form and it kind of becomes a bit like a poem. And, um, yeah. Um, so I don't know. It was a lot of, a lot of heart and soul put into it. Yeah. I was, I was quite pleasantly surprised by, by that when, when you said it to me, because I had no idea what to expect. Um, <laughs> um Oh, thank you. I, I guess uh, during that whole um, indie um, like short film phase in Japan, you also uh, met up with uh, Daisuke Sato, right? And I sure did. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was um, so uh, a a mutual friend knew um, a new Murase uh, uh, Keizo, and so that was so he, he took an interest in me, and that was what um, uh, that that was uh, how I, I first met Daisuke. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we hit it off pretty quickly, you know, we're about the same age and are into the same things and, um, you know, share the same ambitions or I should say comparable ambitions. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, actually, I guess I missed Daisuke, um, a little bit before I met you. Yeah. I, I remember you mentioned that you were doing some, some help on the, uh, Hal from beyond the fog translation when, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I, I think it's okay for me to say this, but I've, you know, I've now seen, um, a pretty big chunk of the brush of God and it's, uh, it is very cool. It looks great. Yeah. 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 It is. It is very cool. 
looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so was the was the concept for for EK Boys kind of germinating in in that entire time? Yeah, I mean, so, um, so the well, okay, so you know, the the film is. Um, it's semi-autobiographical, so you know I could make this grand statement like, "Oh, it is a lifetime in the making." Um, but where it really sort of clicked in my head was, um, uh, well, I guess uh, so. 2017, so about six years ago now, um, and it, I mean, it, it's kind of a similar thing to Paleonaut, where I was like, "Okay, well, how can I, how can I, you know, make something about things that I really care about?" You know, because again, it's like audiences sense sincerity and they sense passion. So how can I, how can I make a film with sincerity and passion? And I thought it, it I mean, it, it just kind of hit me. It's like, well, uh, you know, I sure do love, uh, uh, Japan and, uh, you know, ja uh, Japanese genre films. And these were films that I saw when I was growing up and I, I have many, many deep feelings about adolescence and growing up. And, you know, I think I could make a really good, authentic uh, movie about growing up uh, infused with um, infused with some uh, Japanese flavor. Um, and I guess the, the other sort of thing that, that kind of clicked in my head is I thought, well, you know, I, I, my story is not all that unique. Um, like, there's actually a whole lot of... Um, of non-Japanese who who love anime, who love tokusatsu, who love manga, um, and uh, there hasn't really been a film made about them, uh, you know, sort of for them, for them, by them. And I thought, well, I don't know. I, I work really hard to study Japanese and to study film. Like, I think I could make that film. Um, and like, once those ideas started to come together, it was like, oh, okay, I think there's there is a movie here. Um, so I wrote an outline for it in 2017, um, and was writing it through 2018. And then 2019 was when, um, really, you know, I, would sort of, I talked about it, uh, to my producing partner and we really kind of hit the pavement and, uh, got it up off the ground. Um, there were a lot of lucky strokes and things that came together. Um, I, uh, so I turned 33 in 2019 and, uh, I had a few mentors tell me 33 is the year when it happens. And I kind of thought, okay, well, what, what the heck does that mean? Uh, but yeah, 33 was the year when it happened. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, it, I mean, obviously it's set in Oklahoma, like it, how, how, like how closely does this match up with your lived experience in terms of the, the characters and setting and so on and so forth? Well, uh, pretty closely. Um, I mean, uh, you know, the, um, the, of course I can, you know, be cute about like, Oh, it's all true uh, except for the parts without the monsters. Um, you know, uh, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, it, like it, it was kind of part of the thing in Oklahoma, it, like it, it was a sort of a happy uh, series of things coming together. Um, you know, part of it is just like, you know, a, a first commercial feature you have to, like you have to pull in, you have to pull in sort of all the favors you can, um, and, you know, take advantage of the goodwills available. And I mean, uh, I have a lot of friends from childhood and, you know, goodwill. And so it's just things like the, the school in the film, that's the school I grew up at. And, you know, they, they were really happy and excited to support a graduate. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of little things in there where it's just it's childhood friends who uh you know wanted to wanted to help and you know sort of in exchange they they got to be involved in the film um now the where it sort of where the stars align is uh you know oklahoma has been putting a lot of uh a lot of resources and money into their film industry and they've got a a very uh good um uh, rebate so you know fi- financially for the investors it made sense um to shoot in oklahoma as well um you know and it's so there's sort of personal reasons practical reasons um the other thing about it is just you know it, like it's a desire to um show something unique i mean like there aren't that many films made in oklahoma period um or well uh, let me check my word there's a, quite a few films being made in oklahoma now um, but you know, not many films, uh, sort of in Oklahoma as Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like there's actually some pretty damn unique scenery there. Um, you know, the, it's the, it is the great plains. It's these huge wide open spaces. And I thought, well, golly, that would be unique. Uh, put, uh, put Kaiju in that. Um, and you know, the other sort of thing underlying all of this is, uh, you know, I, Audiences really they sense authenticity and sincerity, and there's a, a principle in art, um, and I you know I talk about this in my film classes, uh, but you know specificity is universal. So like um, you know American Graffiti, which I'm a big fan of, you know another another high school movie, uh, you know that was that was shot in George Lucas's uh, uh, hometown, and you know it's like that's a composite based off of his life and. So there's a lot of things in American Graffiti that are very, very specific to George Lucas, uh, but paradoxically, he you know made this hit out of it that uh, a whole lot of people of that generation really connected to. Um, you know, it, I mean, it's so there, there's a, a lot of details in there that are you know, all, although they are in theory based uh, directly off of George Lucas's life. Um, you know, my dad, uh, who's about the same age, is like, oh yeah, that was my high school experience, and you know, then, uh, I see the film and, you know, I, you know, I didn't go cruising down the strip, but, uh, sure seemed like authentic, uh, high school to me. So long way of saying, you know, I thought, okay, well, like I want to make this film that is some, that the, the, the goal from the beginning is like, I want to make the kind of film that like makes people feel good. And it's like, oh man, I've had a really shitty day. I need to feel good. I'm going to watch EK boys. And I thought, okay, well, like if I really want to make something that I, you know, I'm asking audiences to trust me in their emotionally low moments. Um, I need to be, uh, I need to be vulnerable and authentic um, to them. Uh, so there's, there's a whole lot of me in the film. Um, like um, on the, the main character's bed, there's a, a bunny quilt that my mother made for me uh, when I was uh, a child. Um, you know, it's like shot at the film I grew up at, uh, shot, it was, uh, shot at the school I grew up at. Um, there's, um, you know, the, there, there is certainly, uh, a lot of, uh, of my father and the main character's dad. Um, yeah, I mean the, the sort of the lead relationship, uh, between, um, the two, uh, the two best friends, that's absolutely, that's uh, a lot of me and my best friend in there. Um, and there is, uh, more, uh, there's a, just suffice to say there is quite a lot of me and Sean in the main character. Mm. Um, uh, the, uh, they also deal with, uh, you know, a lot of the normal coming of age 
movie issues, bullies and, and, you know, awkwardness with girls, or in this case, awkwardness with, you know, this Japanese exchange student who, you know, there's definitely a culture gap there. <laughs> Are any of those um, things uh, that you uh, were drawing off of your own experience for? Uh, yeah, I mean, all, almost all of them are, um, and actually, that was um, that, that was uh, you know a, a sort of a point of friction um, at, at certain points. Um, it you know would getting notes from people is that you know I think people wanting to sort of make it more like the way it is in high school movies, and I, it was important for for me to be like, well, no, this is like this is this is the way it was sort of in the live experience that I knew. Um, you know, and I, there's some, I, I think that, you know, there is some healthy friction there to, you know, make something that was specific, but relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so, so, you know, to, to get to the character of Miki, um, the, the exchange student. So th- there was no, uh, Japanese exchange student who came to my high school, um, when I was growing up, but, Having gone to Japan, um, I know a whole lot of women who uh, are just like Miki. And what I mean by that is, you know, I mean Japan. Japan is a it is a high pressure society, um, particularly for women. And one of the interesting results of that is people develop very very specific hobbies, and often will travel overseas in pursuit of. Very, very specific interests. Uh, I've got a very good friend who actually she did the um, she did the logo for the film actually. Um, but her passion is traveling the world, photographing ghost towns, um, and it it is ghost towns specifically. So um, she actually has published a few photo books of um, uh, Chernobyl uh, and uh, and and also of other abandoned cities in Ukraine, which is interesting because uh for obvious reasons she's not uh, able to get back to ukraine right now but i mean it, it like she like that that is her thing um and you know and there's other examples but uh you know i i have multiple friends who are like oklahoma oh oklahoma that's like that's you know there there's a lot of native americans there um and it like it i mean uh Oh, it is a world away, but uh, you know, the people are there. Are there are a lot of Japanese people who are really fascinated by uh, by native culture, um, and so so Miki, like she's she's a composite of uh, a lot of dear female friends of mine. Um, yeah, and then I mean, you can go down the line. I mean, there's the, there's suffice to say, there's authenticity and and truth in just about all the characters in the film. Um. Well, I'd like to kind of uh, talk to you about the the time period. This is yeah. a, a period piece. Um, you said earlier you're born in '86. Kevin and I are both '85 babies, so uh-huh. you're you're around the same age group. Um, yeah. And here you have these uh, high school kids getting ready to graduate, and it's you know it's in the middle of the Y2K hysteria. Um, what what led to your decision to? Um, put it there. That would make the characters a couple years older than us. Um, yep. And you know, uh, were there any specific memories of that time period that you know drew you to to setting the story there? Anything like that? Yeah. Well, um, a lot of it is is I just like that's such a like an iconic moment in history, and there's like that. That's just that's just rich cinematic material right there. It's you know a changing a change in an era, but also like 
a belief that the world is going to end at that changing of that era. That and and then if you combine that with um, going from childhood to adulthood and like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when I turn into an adult? Am I you know is am I going to be the same person? Is like is it going to be okay? you know it, it, that just that that just seemed like a really really juicy juxtaposition. Um, and yeah, so the characters would be, you know, they would be a few years older than, than us than, and certainly than me, but I thought that is more, far more interesting dramatically to put it there than, you know, when I actually did graduate from high school and then it, you know, then it's just, I don't know that, that, you know, that's fine, but that, that's not as cool and dramatically interesting. And yeah, I absolutely remember 1999. Um, it was a weird time. I was I was really worried about um, uh, the world ending, and I remember taking a walk through the neighborhood at midnight, and the lights were still on, and there weren't explosions in the distance, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess it worked out. Um, and, and so part of it is, so, on the one hand, it's looking back, and it's, I'm not even sure I'd even call it nostalgia, because I... Uh, I don't know. In a lot of ways, I think the world has gotten a lot better <laughs> since then. Um, you know, it, it, you know, in, in some ways it's looking backwards and, and childhood memories. Um, the other aspect of it is, so, you know, I, um, you know, the, the EK boys is a film that uh, I've been coming up with over, you know, the, the past several years. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but uh, just say that it's been a uh, the past few years has been uh, quite a lot of uh, upheavals and uh, ups and downs in the world. <laughs> you don't you don't say. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, and I guess I, I think um, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, um, there's probably been a point in the past few years where you've been wor- where one has been worried about the world as you know it ending. Uh, for any number of reasons, and um, in in my own small way, I, I wanted to send a message of well, we've been worried about the world ending before, and it's worked out. So, you know, maybe let's uh, let's 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 try optimism. Um, and yeah, so uh, I thought there would be some real value and meaning in telling a story where. Uh, it seemed like the world would be ending and there's all of these, you know, impossible forces arrayed against us, but actually, uh, you know, some kids armed with nothing more than their friendship are able to save the world. And I thought that's a, that's a good hopeful message to put out there. Cool. Uh, so I, I guess kind of getting into some of the, some of the cast, um, uh, that's uh, Billy Zane was not only an actor but also a producer. Um, so, so how do you kind of come on board, and how do you imp- impact the production? Yeah, well, uh, so uh, you know, it actually, um, you know, the 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 story it, it it's uh, n- not actually all that complicated. Um, our our casting directors um, had a really good relationship with him, um, and you know, we knew he would be. You know, sort of. You know, both in terms of his on-screen persona, um, but uh, also just kind of. You know, the era we're making it in. You know, so Titanic '97. You know, Phantom Night. You know, it's like as, as sort of a, a an icon of the era that the film set in. It just like he he seemed perfect. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, the, so we had a, a you know, a, a good personal connection to him built in and then send him the script and he was really into it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, um, you know, he, he was able to, to sort of move the needle on some things. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the most interesting thing about it was, uh, you know, I think, so I don't know if I would call him, um, a, a full on, uh, Tokusatsu fan, but like he, he knew immediately sort of, you know, what this was about. Uh, you know, our first conversation, he was talking about Johnny Sacco and, uh, like, you know, I, I think he, he really, I think intuitively got, uh, where I was coming from with it. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and so it, I mean, it just worked out. It was just, it was, it was a good fit. Uh, B- Billy is a, he is a fascinating guy to work with cause he is such a, uh, like he is such an idea machine. Um, you know, we I mean, had the script in advance, looked at it, but it was like, you know, every morning before the shoot, I go in to meet with him in the makeup trailer and like, the the you know he'd have the script in his hands and it would like the margins would be covered in blacking and he's like hey I had this idea hey I had this idea um, and it's you know uh, like it's it's great I mean it like you, 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 when you're working with someone like that like it, it keeps you on your toes but like in I mean in the best possible way so um, did uh, is that also just you know his interest in this in the script is that also what kind of got him on board as a in a producer uh aspect as well yeah and um uh you know and i think it's you know when you're when you're a name at that level um just sort of you know having your name attached to it that like that that will help move the needle yeah. on things yep and so i, I you know it, it was kind of you know the offer was for actor, but that led to producer, and then you know that just it made some things easier. Awesome, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I like um, it was an awesome cast. I, I was I was really really blessed. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, that that explanation of you know that time period. I guess that uh, that that really clicks in terms of like Yumiko Shaku was also really big around the the turn of the century, and um, yeah. Um, and I know you're a fan of hers also. <laughs> so. I, I, I cannot say enough good things about that woman. Um, she, uh, she, she is so awesome and so professional. Um, and yeah, she's also, she's just like, she's just a really nice person to spend time with. Um, like, you know, I, I the, one of the, one of the gifts for this is just like, you know, making, making friends, um, like she and, and, and her family, they're just, they're, they are really nice people. Um, you know, her, her son is very young. So actually her, her husband and her son, they came, um, came to America for the production. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, you know, that, that was, so it, you know, it, it's, it's always fun to host Japanese friends, um, in America, but it like, it was one of those things where it was like, Oh, okay. So like, let's all go get steak after, you know, the, the overnight shoot in the prairie and it's like okay you know this is this is the you know you, you sort of stop and smell the roses now the thing about her um and i will get overtly political here because this was all kinds of effed up um uh i'm assuming this is a clean language podcast oh yeah well no <laughs> no we we some of us swear like sailors others don't you're you're okay. welcome to use okay. whatever naughty words you want okay yeah well no th- this was all kinds of fucked up um is uh so 
Uh, and under normal circumstances, it would be absolutely no problem at all to get a work visa for a well-known Japanese actress. Um, but uh, the Trump administration, in its infinite wisdom, uh, denied uh, her visa um, because uh, why are we, you know, why are we giving parts to Japanese actresses when uh, we can, you know, be, be employing uh, Americans? And so we. I mean, you look at the the special thanks and the credits, and you'll see some pretty um, some pretty impressive names. Um, like we pulled in just some outrageous favors um, in order to petition to uh, the the visa decision, and we rescheduled. We had to change the shooting schedule. We changed her flight three times, and then finally, the morning of. The morning of her flight, and this is the flight that had already been rescheduled two other times, uh, the visa got approved, and she flew in, and then um, uh, a day later was on set performing. Uh, it was absolutely an insane saga. Put, put another way, like, I was halfway through shooting the film, and I didn't know if she was going to be in it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it was um, so... Uh, yeah, we, we, we really, really went through the fire on that one. Um, and so just every time I see the film and I see her show up on screen, I just it, like there's a part of me that always just kind of like breaks a little bit because I'm like, this almost didn't happen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is unquestionably part of the reason that uh, we've become such good friends, because it's just such a like... <laughs> It it, it it shouldn't have been that hard, but it was that hard. Uh, and it almost didn't happen, but it did happen. Um, so, yeah, I am very, very, very grateful that uh, it worked out. I, I I knew she was in a, a Canadian horror movie, like, right beforehand. And I was, I was not clear if she had, like, just been in the neighborhood or how that had all worked out. But it sounds like it was... Uh, no, it, that, that did not make it easier at all. <laughs> <laughs> not in the slightest. <laughs> um, so, so the the casting that um, got me the most excited was was Ben Browder, just as yeah, you know, yeah. a fan of Farscape and um, and Stargate and and Doctor Who and all the great work that he's done over the years. So, like, what was what was he like to work with? Oh, Ben, Ben is. Um... Uh, well, so, so, I mean, I, but, but I'm saying all these nice things. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke up your asses. I was really lucky. Like I got to work with just some really, really wonderful people. Um, like Ben is, I don't know, like, I'm going to get emotional saying this, but like the thing I realized from working with Ben is, um, you know, I'm a big, so I'm, I'm, I'm a very, very big Farscape fan. Um, and the thing I realized from working with Ben is that like, so much of that show is like, I mean, it, his personality is just all through that thing. Um, in, in, you know, big and small ways. Uh, he's, I mean, he, he is just a, a classic gentleman. Um, he, well, I, I, I guess this is where the sort of, you know, where the Farscape DNA is there. He's just, you know, he is just a good moral, you know, just, good human being and he is also an imp and really playful and really mischievous and uh he like he he, he just ha he has this great gift for sort of like taking the air out of people who are taking up too much air 
uh, including, uh, and, and I am absolutely including myself in that where it's like, you know, there would be multiple times where, you know, I, I would be, I would be saying something and then he would just kind of start laughing and just kind of like totally like take the piss um, and, you know, deflate any given situation. Like, and he, I mean, this, this stuff, unfortunately, like can fit all this in the film, but he like, he would go off on these like amazing ad libs. Um, uh, some of which is in, is in the film, by the way. Um, but like, there's a a whole like extended, um, uh, improv that he went through with, uh, with Christina who played Miki at the, in the Christmas scene where they're like, Oh man. I mean, it's, it's this funny, funny stuff where he's like, you know, it's like, you know, my boy, He's into some. You, you watch those, those shows he watches with the tentacles and the like. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Ben is like he's like you know, and and this is you know, I think that this is you know why he's he's a good actor is he's just, he is really 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 playful. Um, yeah, uh, and and I I think this is you know that's the interesting thing about sort of sort of knowing him and knowing his on-screen persona, there, there is a bit of like, a okay, aha, like he, he, you know, this is a man who likes to have fun and like to play. And that is why, you know, he does these interesting, unexpected characters because he's just, he's always, he, he's always looking for the unexpected in any given situation. Um, I, I guess along those lines, um, Christina was, um, uh, Pranking some people on set, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Christina, um, she grew up in Japan, but she went to an international school. So she's um, she's actually she's very fluent in English, um, unlike her character. So the uh, you know the the thing I so um, so Quinn and Ronak who uh, do play Sean and Vic, they um, they arrived to rehearse a few days before uh, before she did. So I had them pick her up at the airport, and I had her arrive in character. Um, so first afternoon we spent together, uh, she was, you know, communicating in broken English and they're trying to sort of like make themselves understood to her, but also like, you know, they're excited and welcome her. And then like, finally I take them out to dinner at the evening and she's like, yeah, you know, I can actually speak English perfectly. Uh, and you know, and she, she got them. Um, but, uh, yeah, Christina, um, she is a, she's a real fine. This was actually her first acting role in anything. Um, she's a, a musician and she went out for auditions and she was one of, you know, she, she was one of the many tapes that showed up, but I was just like, there, there is something about her. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's just, she's just a natural, um, and yeah, I mean, and since gave boy, she's, she's gone on like, you know, she's been on some Netflix shows and, uh, you know, and like is doing more music. So. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, but I'm, I am, I, I consider myself lucky to have given her her first credit. Um, what was the casting process like for, uh, the, the two, um, main characters? Uh, did you go through a lot of kids in that process? And, um, you know, after you cast, uh, them, did you change any parts of the script afterwards to fit them? How, how did that go? Yeah. Um, so, um, so it was different. So, so Ronak, um, plays Vic. That was a, you know, that was an audition process and, um, and, and there were, 
I mean, I did see quite a few actors, but he, I mean, he, he, he emerged pretty quickly. I mean, Ronick has, uh, you know, I, you don't know what it is, but it, you, you know it when you see it. He's just, he's just a, a pretty magnetic, interesting uh, guy to watch. Um, and so, yeah, so that was, you know, and that's, that, that's our casting directors, uh, you know, uh, who sort of knew where to cast the net and, and Ronak showed up. Um, so, so Quinn, I knew about Quinn from, um, you know, from man in the high castle. And then before that from trick or treat. And, you know, so I like, uh, just, you know, knew his work kind of had a hunch. So that was a, that was a direct offer. Um, and this is where, you know, sometimes you, um, uh, I mean, you have to think logically and sort of, you know, have the math, uh, you know, that, that's, that calculates into your decisions, but sometimes you do have to follow your gut. Um, and I just had a gut sense about Quinn and there is a reason for that because Quinn is the, he's the little brother I never knew I had. Um, we like, he, he is, uh, we're cut from the same cloth in spooky ways. Um, you know, which is, so there's the obvious thing. He's playing a character who's based off of me. So, you know, that, uh, you know, that worked out well, but, it, but it, it, it goes a bit beyond that. I mean, I actually, um, I, I, you know, I hang out with Quinn, um, online, uh, you know, pretty regularly. Um, and like on set until now, like, I mean, it's on set, like he, he, he has also seen all of Farscape multiple times <laughs> and there would be moments where we would have like entire conversations made up of Farscape quotes, um, which, you know, would of course completely alienate anyone else around us. Um, uh, except when Ben showed up and then he would get in on the Farscape quotes because he, you know, he, he remembers the show so well. So that, that was, that was, that was quite a thing when the three of us would get going, um, just basically reenacting whole cloth, uh, various Farscape scenes. Um, the other thing that Quinn and I are big fan. Of, are you, are you familiar with the uh, the Matt Berry show Toast of London? Uh, I have not seen it. Yeah, uh, it, well, it, it has nothing to do with um, uh, Japan or kaiju or uh, you know aliens or anything we're talking about. It's it's a really very dry uh, you know British comedy, and boy, Quinn and I love that. And so uh, we we've also had multiple conversations just of, of Matt Berry Toast of London quotes. So. Um, all, so all of which is to say, uh, going back to your question, um, I mean, yeah, sure, uh, well, once I cast them, the script absolutely evolved because, uh, you know, it's like now, now I'm working with real people and I get their input and, and their ideas. Um, but it worked out well because these were people who I was in sync with um, in ways that are easy to explain and ways that are just sometimes just kind of weird, like whole conversations made out of Farscape quotes. <laughs> go out for pizza and margarita shooters afterwards and margarita shooters. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so did the, uh, did, did the actors like require much, uh, in terms of like Japanese coaching for those Japanese, uh, scenes or, um... uh, well, so, so, uh, Christina, no, you know, cause she's, she speaks it. Um, but, um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Quinn and Rona, absolutely. Um, you know, so, so Ronick, it was, you know, kind of like part of the thing is that the character is like, yeah, I've studied Japanese, but not really. Um, you know, and, and Quinn, it worked out because Quinn is like, he's, he's a very serious person. So like, he really wanted to 
get the Japanese right. Um, and so, you know, he hasn't studied Japanese. So what that means is inevitably he's going to make some mistakes, but that kind of worked out well because it was sort of like, I would feed him the Japanese he needed to know, and he would really work hard to get it right. And make a few mistakes but you would sense that the character is like oh no this is like a really smart person who's working really hard and like yeah sure he's making some mistakes but he's working really hard uh and you know his japanese is pretty darn good for being in oklahoma yeah that that felt natural to to me the way that that was handled yeah um and quinn and i'll tell you quinn has uh he he is he has remembered all that japanese uh, and, and you gave them some uh, some anime titles to watch, right? I did, yeah. Um, so, um, oh God, I'm trying to remember what was on the list. Uh, well, so it was, um, uh, you know, because I was trying to, you know, get them things of the, so, uh, um, of the era. So, so uh, Evangelion was top of the list. Um, uh, but um, also Akira um, and uh, Trigon was on there. Um, and, oh, God, what else? Um, uh, I'd have to look up. I, I've got, I've got all these documents. I, I sent them. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I sent them long lists of homework. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so, so what was it like kind of, um, coordinating because there was parts that are filmed in the U S and parts that are filmed in Japan. Yeah. Uh, well, it, I mean, it was, uh, uh, <laughs> n- 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 no, no easy task. Um, and, um, you know, the, this is, you know, that, that's, that's really a question the producers could answer better. Um, so it, you know, what it came down to was the bulk of the shoot was shot in America. And then, so prologue and epilogue, uh, were in, in Japan. And then, you know, the, the final battle, the, the big, uh, tokusatsu scene that was shot in Japan. So, um, yeah, I mean, this actually connects to some interesting recent historical events in that, um, the main shoot was, um, January and February of 2020, and then uh, uh, March of 2020 was the uh, was the Japan stuff, and uh, that uh, you know it, it was right when the shit was hitting the fan in uh, the states, and uh, in, in Japan at that time we weren't quite sure what it, this was all going to be, but uh, the upshot of it was that we wrapped filming just right in the nick of time, um, and. Uh, yeah, I count my lucky stars for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a lot of work, and you know, the thing is, is so I um, the I'm the only one of the sort of the main above the line creative crew who's bilingual. So you know, the producers had to like, you know, the, the, there was you know, the, the, there were there were quite a, a lot of go betweens um, who had to get involved, and um, yeah, I mean, it was really complicated. And the the other thing is so. You know that that's the the live action part of it, but uh, the animation was done um, it, by uh, animators in France and Taiwan, um, and so uh, I mean post production was a whole big thing um, coordinated glo- globally. So yeah, I mean it it was it it was going to be a big complicated film anyways, and then COVID made it more complicated. But uh, you know th- there's there is a, a, a rule of thumb in art that you can have it um, in, in filmmaking. You can have it uh, good, you can have it fast, you can have it cheap, and you can only get two at the same time. So <laughs> we didn't we didn't have a lot of money, so uh, we got it uh, we got it good, and we got it. I don't know about you know 
maybe cheap isn't the word. We, we got it good and we got it affordable, uh, but we got it slow. Um, so, you know, you had this whole kind of tokusatsu unit in Japan with, with Daisuke uh, yeah. Sato. Were, were you always on hand for um, the stuff being done over there? Or were you getting footage sent back and, you know, and sending notes back from overseas? How exactly was that collaboration? Uh, no, I, I was there. Um, so, you know, what it was is I, you know, I, I sent him the script and the designs and the storyboards in advance. And then he basically, you know, it's it sort of, he, uh, he took charge of it from there. He sort of like, he took the storyboards that I'd done and did sort of his pass on, you know, well, and, and I told him like, you know, I'm directing the film, but you're directing this. Um, and, you know, so it, like I gave him, you know, free reign to sort of to revise it, um, as uh you know as he saw fit um but yeah so i so i was there and i i guess what i tried to do is was basically hold back and let him do his thing but you know give a you know give a note as i saw fit so it it was the the three days that we shot i mean it was it was mostly him and you know then i would come in and like the notes i would give would be things about I mean, they were, they were things about framing. They were, you know, there were some things where it's like, okay, well, no, like, but I want a little bit more of a sense of mass here. So like, let's have the arms, uh, you know, not wiggle quite as fast. Um, or, you know, or, or I mean, really, you know, pr pretty microy things. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's mostly him. Um, and you know, it's, he's awesome. Um, also in the the on the, the the Japanese film unit, you you have some kind of old school guys uh, in your credits here. There's uh, the pyrotechnician Yasushi Iwata. He did a uh, pyro on a lot of uh, old Toho Tokusatsu films, and also um, you know the legendary suit maker Keizo Murase is is in the credits. What what was the extent of uh, their involvement, and in, you know how you you know worked with them? Yeah, well, pretty extensive. I mean, Murase, like, we shot um, at his studio, um, and, um, like, he was there the whole time um, as kind of a kind of a godfather figure to the whole thing. Um, you know, he, he was giving notes, and um, and it was like, you know, of course, and, like, when, when he talks, you listen. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he by the way, he, he's just, like, connecting with him has been a real gift. He's He's been a big... Um, He's just a, been a big advocate and supporter for me through the years, um, and I, I was lucky. I got to see him um, during this past trip to Japan. Uh, he's yeah, he's uh, he he you know he's so good at his craft, but he's also really a really good mentor, um, you know. And so uh, that's you know part of how Daisuke uh, cut his teeth. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Iwata-san, like, he's a hoot. Um, you know, I think anyone who, like, uh, wants to make explosions for a living, you know, that there's, uh, like, um, th there's a, a certain kind of mischievous energy going on there. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, like, it, it, I mean, I, I would just, and I've got some photos of this too, but I would see him, you know, rigging up these little dynamite packs and just kind of, like, have this, just has this grin on his face. It's like, oh, it's maybe a little more here, a little more there, and like, uh, the, you know, he's just just a a, a funny guy. Um, but like the the thing, 
and I and I told this before in a few interviews, but I, I like the, for me the story doesn't get old because it's just it's so damn cool. Um, was the um, the the pyrotechnics rig he used? So you know, and the, it's it, it's called a, a shamisen. So shamisen is a, a Japanese harp, and um, you know what it is it's like a, a wood plank with metal tines on it, and the tines are connected to individual explosives. And you know, so the way it works is the technician will strike the tines. Um, like uh, to like along with the same timing of the suit actors, so the explosions are set off in time with uh, whatever the suits are doing. And you know, you can't go to a hardware store and buy a shamisen; these are all custom made. Um, and you know, once you build one, it's sturdy stuff; it'll last. So Iwata San, he had gotten his shamisen from his mentor, who had gotten it from his mentor before him. So this thing has been used like. This shamisen, like it had this storied history. I was like, you know, it's you know, Heisei films, Showa films. Um, but we were doing the math and realized it was definitely used on and possibly built for uh, the original Godzilla in 1954. And that just like, of all the like moments of pride, like you know, you know. So it's like the explosions in my film, they're not, they're not an homage. They're not a like done in the style of they're like, those are, those are dyed in the wool Godzilla explosions. Mm -hmm. And that just, you know, that, uh, is something I will, you know, that, 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 that makes me smile any old moment of the day. And, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you, you talked about earlier, you know, getting, uh, calling in all the favors you can. And I, I'm, I'm assuming those guys came in through your, uh, connections with, uh, Dice K, right? They, they did. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, also, uh, you also have, um, uh, on the American side of, uh, of, of those things, um, some work with, uh, the, uh, Kyoto Brothers, Kyoto Brothers. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, of yeah. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, you know, uh, very, uh, I guess, in the animation world. Um, you know, well-known folks. Um, how did they come onto the project? And you know, what was the extent of of their work here? So I had known them. I, I've known them for several years um, through a man named uh, Richard Jones, who he um, he he kind of helped give them their start. He uh, he's a documentarian. He did a a wonderful series of dinosaur documentaries that I saw uh, growing up. Um, I don't know if either of you by any chance saw the, the Gary Owens. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I grew up, I grew up watching those when I was, geez, I probably in diapers still, but I remember them very well. Probably haven't watched one since I was seven at the oldest, but I look yeah. at clips on YouTube and stuff and I remember them <laughs> like I watched them yesterday. Cause I'd just run those tapes so much. Yeah, well, um, I, I'm a big old fan of those things um, to the point that I tracked down uh, Richard, the producer. And, and Richard's kind of like, he, he's kind of become a, a bit of a second father to me. Um, uh, I actually uh, owe him an email. Um, he, he sent me a message earlier today. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so he and I hit it off and he introduced me to the Kyoto Brothers um, a few years back. Um, and, you know, so they were... Uh, you know, that they, they were friends. I think they were, you know, they were interested in me as a, you know, as a quote unquote up and comer. Um, and then when this film started to get some traction, I, you know, I reached out to them. And so, so they were, I, I guess I would describe them as the, the, the kind of the godfathers of all of the, the suits in the, the U S parts of the film. So, 
Um, the, the real heavy lifting in terms of the construction was done by a company called Alex in Wonderland, which is a, it's a husband and wife team that the, the Kyotos work with. Um, so like, so like Ed Kyoto, he was sort of like the, the producer in charge of, of the suits and, uh, Charlie did the final design pass for the, the Mecca and the Kaiju. Um, but then Alex in Wonderland, who they contracted, they did all the building. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it like, it, it, it is so, you know, of course, you know, I'm here talking to you guys and like, you know, we can, we can nerd out endlessly about, uh, you know, kaiju designs and, and suits. But what's really neat is when you start to uh, sort of see what actually goes into building these things, um, you know, so like the, the Mecca, I mean, that's like, you know, that there's, there's a, a diving suit as part of that. There's some lumber, there's different kinds of, um, of both, you know, uh, LED and tungsten lighting. Um, it's like there, there's all kinds of different materials that go into it. Um, the kaiju, uh, so that that's a yak fur, and uh, not only is it yak fur, but it's from the same specific herd of yaks that has supplied all of the fur for all of the Chewbacca suits. <laughs> so there is a very very specific uh, craft that goes into these things. Um, so yeah, so. Uh, I wouldn't have access, had access to any of that craft if there hadn't been a relationship with the Kyotos. So, I mean, they they really they know their stuff and they know the right people. Uh, so, so I guess kind of uh, going on uh, with the, the 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 kaiju and and mecha suits specifically, like. Um, they're they're very in the forefront of the movie, but they don't spend very much time huge. Mm-hmm. Um, was that kind of like a byproduct of being set in Oklahoma without a lot of large buildings around, or kind of like what was the the thought process there? Yeah. Um, well, so it's a couple things. Um, uh, part of so part of it is it's you know the film at, at its heart it, it is a you know it's a movie about growing up and. Um, you know, I wanted to be sure that even after they transformed, they were still accessible characters so that there's, you know, the, the human drama and the human humor that can play out. And it's much easier to play out when they're the size that can interact with the other human beings, uh, who are there. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the, so the film, it gets really big at the end and I wanted to be sure to, you know, save some gas in the tank for that. Uh, and, um, uh, and you know, like have that be like, you know, the, the, the big finale is when things get really, really big. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, then this is, this is most definitely a conversation, um, had with Daisuke is, uh, uh, certainly for a, a hypothetical sequel would want, um, uh, more big things. Um, uh, yeah, more big and bigger. Uh, I, I think that makes sense for, <laughs> for for a sequel. Yeah. So, uh, but but uh, that that that'll be uh, that'll be a few years a few years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess with the um, get, getting back to some of the the Japan sequences. Um, so you have the prologue, and you've got uh, Ryo Iwamatsu there. Yeah, yeah. Not somebody I really kind of like associate with this sort of thing. I, I saw it from like Zebra Man, but uh, lately I've seen him in like. 
what to do with the dead kaiju and and Shin Ultraman. And so, so do, he seemed like really enthused with the the, the material, or like how how did how uh, did that all go down? So he, he's someone who I admired, and it, that was not um, specifically for for kaiju related reasons. I am. Um, uh, I mean, it, so he, he, he's kind of a, like a Christopher Walken type in Japan. I mean, he's just, he's in a million things and, um, you know, sounds interesting. Like he, uh, like his, his main passion in life is that he's a, a playwright and a, and a, a theater director. Um, and film acting is something that he does, uh, like, you know, it, it like it, it's, it's sort of his, his side hustle. Um, but he's very, very good at it. And he's, you know, he's a, a very popular character actor. So, you know, I'd seen him in a lot of things, but I particularly like, so the, um, the director of uh, what to do with the dead Kaiju, um, uh, 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 Miki Satoshi, like I I really am a big fan of his films and, um, Iomatsu-san is in, in just about all of them. And so I'd been, I'd seen him in that for years and I just, I really liked his on-screen presence and his vibe. And again, I just had this, sort of gut hunch that like, you know, I think, I think some magic would happen, um, if I work with him. And so he was always in my head, uh, when I wrote that character and, uh, reached out and made an offer and he said, yes. Um, and again, he, uh, you know, uh, I feel like I'm being a broken record here, but he's, he's turned into, uh, evolved into a friend. Um, he's a really smart, um, interesting guy, um, who, you know, he tends to play these kind of uh, mysterious, uh, the uh, mischievous, quirky characters. Um, he's he's actually a very sort of thoughtful, um, uh, well-read person, um, and so like uh, we hang out. The conversations tend to be, you know, about you know, literature and philosophy and history, and but you know, then once the cameras roll, he's a goofball. Uh, so yeah, uh, he's a he's a, a fascinating, cool guy. Uh, and then in the same scene, you got uh, uh, Shusuke and Jiro Kaneko making cameos. Or are, are you close with them also? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so um, I, I so uh, uh, so Jiro-san, I met him uh, at U Body as well, and uh, he, you know he introduced his uh, his, his well known uh, older brother. Um, and um, yeah, I mean so. Uh, so I would say I, I am closer personally with, uh, with Jiro, but, um, you know, when I, when I mentioned this, uh, so, uh, Kaneko-san was, and he was, I think he very intrigued by the material and, you know, this was a couple hours of work in the evening and he was like, yeah, that would be fun. And mm-hmm. now the other interesting thing about that is like, I read the script and he really wanted to play that particular producer with that particular line. So I don't know, I don't know what, shit he's gone through before but like there was there was something very specific in that that he connected to so i was i i was quite glad to to give him that line and you know he he does a very funny performance you got shinji higuchi in there too right yeah he um he's the narrator um in the film within the film um as he's the narrator and he's also the voice of the cultist so yeah actually two very different voice uh voices in there and, uh, yeah. And, you know, and this is like, um, that, I mean, so I, I, I know he was, I, I've actually known him for golly, uh, well over a decade at this point. Um, he's, he's, he is, uh, we, we share a close mutual friend. So we've just ended up at a lot of the same, a lot of the same hangouts. Um, 
And so he knew about the film, um, but like all, all of his stuff was recorded um, during COVID. Um, and, you know, this is the wonders of modern technology is got a good microphone in the closet. And, you know, we communicated um, through Facebook and email and that he does this awesome cameo appearance. Um, well, uh, that kind of segues in cause you mentioned, you know, he, the, the, the animated sequences and also earlier you said, you know, there were a couple different countries that, that handled that, but, um, you know, what was the uh, process for producing the, the animation in, in the movie? And also, I mean, when, when you were doing it, um, were there any, um, uh, specific styles in anime or uh, a certain period or decade of anime that, that you were trying to emulate at all? Yeah. So, well, so first of all, back up. So the, you know, the, the two animation directors, one, one is Taiwanese and one is French. Um, and I, I knew them both through, um, through previous, uh, previous jobs and sort of previous work that I'd done. And so, you know, they're not Japanese, but just, you know, every animator, um, of our generation loves anime and, you know, loves, loves Japanese animation. And so the, the thinking there was like, okay, well, so, you know, it's supposed to be a Japanese film and Japanese animation, but like, it's also, it's supposed to be done in an older style. So let's, you know, let's get some really talented fans to do it. Um, and, you know, it's like, they will, sort of they'll be able to speak the visual language but they will also bring their own fresh touch to it and so you know because the, the idea is that this is a film that you know so came out in 1972 and was ahead of its time so thinking is like okay let's do something that visually it's an homage but also is you know it has a bit of freshness to it because it's done by you know it's done by talented people with their own visual style and you know and and hopefully we'll, we'll land in a will land in a place that, you know, it's sure, you know, it's an homage, but it's also fresh. Um, so, so yeah, so film from 1972, that's supposed to be ahead of its time. So what that, you know, ended up, you know, being is we, we looked at a lot of, of animation from the 1980s and, you know, the early nineties. So, um, you know, so a, a lot of, uh, you know, the original Gundam, um, uh, a, a lot of, um, uh, I mean, so we looked. Oh, I mean, we looked at um, you know the the original um, the original Voltron. Um, uh, certainly, Akira. Um, uh, uh, some um, Gachaman. Um, and, you know, but and, and like the, the sort of the like the color palette and the kind of the 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 style of that era. Like th there were certain patterns that started to emerge. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, I mean, it like. Um, so, I mean, it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of what was cutting edge in, um, in the eighties. And then we just sort of set it a decade earlier and saying like, okay, this is a film that were, was ahead of its time, but, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later, uh, anime caught up to it. Cool. Uh, so I guess, uh, shifting, shifting topics a little bit, um, there's the the sequence at the uh, the museum with the Native American culture. Yeah, uh, I was kind of wondering how that all went down. Like, if there were guidelines about what and how to show things, and if the museum curator like got involved. Um. Well, so that's an interesting one. So, um, uh, you, you know, it, like, um, it's interesting. You know, 
Oklahoma has a, um, you know, it, it, there's a very unfortunate reason why there's so much Native American culture in Oklahoma, and that's, you know, because it was basically a concentration camp where, uh, you know, all of these different tribes from all over the, over the, uh, the country were sent, um, you know, in the, the 19th century. Um, and, you know, and then it, you know, of course, got opened up at the land run. So it's a very sad history that has re- resulted now in, um, you know, this just it kind of this rich um, uh, hotbed of, of, of native culture. And so one of the producers in our film, um, he, uh, you know, he's Oklahoman and he's uh, he's Seminole. And he, he was just helpful soup to nuts in sort of you know, in, in opening doors, but also, you know, in reviewing the script and saying like, okay, this is, you know, uh, th- this is respectful, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe rethink this, you know, and so just like, that was like, that was always just a very, you know, something that I was very grateful for because, you know, I just didn't want to want to do this right. Um, you know, with regards to the museum, that was interesting because that is the, um, the name of the museum, it's the, the National Cowboy and, um, and Western Heritage Center. And so, you know, it, it's, it, it's a museum about the Old West, so soup to nuts, you know, the history of, uh, you know, of the West from, from all perspectives. And so, you know, I, I was really concerned with, you know, making sure that the, the, the Native American aspects of the film were treated, you know, carefully and with respect um, and, you know, really, you know, trying to bend over backwards for that. The interesting thing with the museum was they were, so they saw that, they respected that, they weren't worried about that. They were concerned that it was going to, like that scene was going to be sort of portray the the cowboys and sort of the, the, the Western expansion from white Americans in a unduly negative way. And, and that was, that was the interesting conversation there where they were like, okay, like, well, why are you showing these paintings? And they're like, you know, are you going to focus too much on like these particular like gruesome details or are you going to balance it with like, you know, are you going to be, are you going to show both sides shooting or just these sides shooting? And, you know, and that, you know, there were conversations and I think ultimately everyone was, was happy about it, but that was it was interesting that that was even an issue that came up, but it did come up. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the moral of the story is try to, um, you know, when in doubt, try to listen and try to be respectful of, uh, different people's point of views. Uh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, those paintings there, those are, you know, that that's, that's a lot of class. I mean, th- those, by the way, those are, uh, treasures that we got to film. Those are classic um, uh, Frederick Remington, Charles Russell paintings, which are, you know, th- these were painted often from life. Um, you know, it's sort of the the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of the museum's perspective is they want to make sure that we were, ta- you know, we were showing those, these classic revered works of art in a way that was, you know, that wasn't just derivative, um, but that there was a real reason for it. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, I think we, we showed them that we cared and we, you know, we knew what we were doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, am a big fan of, um, I'm also just, I'm a big fan of, of, of art and art history. So, uh, just getting to, 
uh, shoot uh, classic Western oil paintings and put them in my film. And I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Well, well, on the subject of, of referencing art and art history, I, I had to notice that the uh, the Space Sheriff Gavon theme is in the movie. Yes, yes. Uh, but it's it's like a cover. It's not the version that's on TV. So, like, first of all, like, kind of, how do you select that? And did you have to license it from Toei? Like, how did that all go down? Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, so, okay. So, I think at this stage, um, I, I'm not going to. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. This I, I think this can be public knowledge at this point. Um, we actually got very close for with. Um, uh, well, no, actually, let me let me just say that we we almost got a different song that is very major that you would definitely know, and it's associated with a very big um, anime IP. And I'll just leave it at that. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. Yeah, uh, uh, but it was uh, you would definitely know it, and um, they were, you know, uh, the fact that we the fact that we got an offer was already a win, um, and the money we would have charged would have been, uh, more than, um, the cost of dice case shoot. Let me, put it, let me just put it that way. Um, so you can use your imagination for what that might have been. Um, but, uh, yes. So for, for Gavin, we, we did go to toy and, um, you know, and license it. And, and by the way, so I, I'm just, uh, so if, if you, if you can understand Japanese and you see the way I edited the scene, um, I'm being very, very cheeky with how I edited it because, um, the, the, the lyrics are like, they're all kind of like the opposite of whatever the characters are, are doing, um, in the scene. So, uh, but just the, the Japanese lyrics of that song are just awesome. Like they're, uh, they're kind of like they're big and brassy and super poetic. So I've just, I've always loved that song. Um, but what it came down to is it was actually pretty easy to get the rights to the song. Um, but so when you're doing music licensing, there's, there's the rights to sort of the IP of the song itself. And then there's the rights to the specific recording. And what it came down to was it was, you know, it was pretty affordable to get to the rights to the song, but pretty expensive to get the actual iconic recording. And then we thought, well, like, you know, this is actually an opportunity. Let's do a cover. So, um, the, uh, the, 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 the musician and the singer performed that as a, a friend of mine, uh, June Momose, who's a, she's a very talented, uh, musician and is also a member of the, uh, the Spe Gojikai, um, that I was mentioning earlier. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she just, she knocked it out of the park. I mean, again, I, I, I was thinking like, so the, you know, the actual, the original performance that, you know, it's, so it's like, you know, it, it's super, it's super, super masculine. And I thought, well, okay, well, let's go in the exact opposite direction and do this like really sultry, uh, female version. Um, and that's what we, that's what we did. Yeah. Um, and June did an awesome job. I mean, I mean, that works with the time setting because everybody was about the, you know, Eurobeat remixes and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess aside from that, that music cue, was there any other stuff that you'd like wanted to include, but couldn't for some reason or another? Um, so, well, so, I mean, this connects to, you know, and I, it's interesting cause I've had, um, I've had a few people ask me, you know, it's like, you know, if you had had more money, like, are there things that 
you you could have done are there things that you wanted to do that you couldn't do because of limited resources and so the answer is yes i mean it, it absolutely is yes um but it maybe not the things that like you'd be thinking so like you know if i had had three times the budget i s- still would have done it with uh you know with tokusatsu and uh, you know, and, and kind of a, you know, a retro style, um, and, you know, and, and hand-drawn animation and all these things, um, you know, cause that's just, that's so baked into what the film is about. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I would have had, you know, I, you know, it, it's the thing about like anything with tokusatsu animation is it takes time and time costs money. So I probably would have had a little bit more of everything and, but like honestly like the thing that i really wanted more of is stuff that kind of doesn't have anything to do with um any of the you know the big sort of attention getting parts of the film is just uh like i'm a perfectionist and like most of the things that i want more of i think are totally invisible to the audience it's just like I would have loved more time so that I could have tweaked this camera angle this way or like taken more time to, you know, shoot this particular sunset so that I could have caught the light going through the clouds at this angle or, you know, like had like one more take of this conversation. So I could have had, you know, this character saying this line from this angle instead of that angle. And it's 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 directory stuff. Um, And you know, some of that is just the sort of the learning curve you go on in filmmaking of, uh, you know, you just, you, you have to, you're going to be a perfectionist about everything. So one of the, like the skills you have to learn is to be a perfectionist to like really let your perfectionist freak flag fly for the stuff that really counts emotionally. And then just know that there will be things that, you know, you will know and you will be frustrated by, but they probably will be invisible to the audience. Um, so yeah, so there's a million little things like that, but in terms of, in terms of big things, um, I don't, I mean, I, I basically with this film, um, you know, I'm really lucky. I, I, it's the film I wanted to make. Um, and I'm really proud of it. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton of little things, but the broad strokes are, the broad strokes are the broad strokes that I want them to be. And, um, I don't, I mean, that's just, you know, that, that's just some kind of wonderful cosmic victory, uh, to even be able to say that. Um, so obviously, you know, this being an independent film, uh, I mean, how, how long was, was, uh, the, the principal photography, what, like what were the biggest challenges, um, that you confronted in making this? Uh, so let's see, it was, um, a 22 day shoot in Oklahoma and then, um, the Japanese shoot, um, you know, including both the, the human scenes, and the tokusatsu, that was three days. Um, and then a year for post-production, um, and then there's three days of pickups, which were during COVID, but the, those three days of pickups, that's like, that, that was, uh, you know, it's like establishing shots and insert shots and, you know, stuff that could be done during a pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, pretty, you know, pretty decent, uh, schedule. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, it was, you know, I mean, it, there was a lot to shoot during that time, but it was not, 
you know, it was not unduly rushed. Um, and I, I mean, I, I was lucky in that, you know, I, I had, I think I had producers who made really smart scheduling decisions. And, you know, one of the things they told me up front was they, they asked me to pick um, a half dozen scenes that were the emotional core of the film. And, you know, they basically said, like, we will schedule those scenes as though we had three times the budget that we actually have. Um, and so that gets to what I was saying earlier, where so like there's certain key moments in the film where I was really, you know, I, I was sort of given a wider leash to really get into the weeds dramatically with them. Um, and then other scenes is sort of like, okay, like two to three takes, if you've got it, move on. Um, and yeah, I mean, so, so basically, you know, it worked out okay, but I mean, these are busy, busy days. Cause it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty involved film for an independent film. And like, you know, you need to get a lot of shots and a lot of coverage in order to, uh, have it all be there dramatically. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I told you the visa story. That was a, uh, you know, that was a whole thing. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean like all they're, um, uh, yeah, I mean, oof, there, uh, some shit went down in this movie. Uh, let me tell you that. Um, yeah, there's some stuff that, yeah, I, I actually, I don't think I can, I still don't <laughs> think I can say publicly, um, although I'm happy to tell you guys offline. Uh, I mean, like, some, like, you know, some some shit went down. Um, now, I, I can, you know, in terms of what's sort of, like, family-friendly and publicly available, uh, um, uh, well, no one got hurt and everyone is in uh, good, clean legal standing. Uh, l l l let me uh, state that up front. But uh, th there were, you know, some dramatic things that happened. Um, uh, and then, you know, in sort of like good, clean family fun that I can share. Uh, like, yeah. Um, so the overnight shoot for the finale, um, like um, that, uh, that whole thing got delayed by a day because there was like a, you know, like a once in a decade um blizzard and like one of our trucks that had the the lighting equipment like sunk into the mud um there uh yeah um uh there well i mean there was a, a flu going around and i think we might have had some early covid cases on set um i actually had the flu the first week of filming um and had a had and i just had to soldier on with that um uh there oh golly um yeah, I mean, it, it, I, there's there's sort of almost too many like insane things to. Um, well, I mean, now so, some of them are like, yeah, were maybe kind of scary, but also kind of cool. So like, um, so uh, you know, when um, so spoilers um, when um, Shakusan's character is giving her big villainous speech. Um, under the stars and the film's finale out in the middle of the prairie. Uh, you know, and by the way, that location, that was the middle of fucking nowhere. That was like an hour drive, um, out into the great plains. Um, so she's, you know, giving this awesome riveting speech in Japanese, everyone's fallen silent. And then like, we hear these like eerie howling and it was a pack of coyotes <laughs> that like something about like, the like timbre of her speech and the like, the, it like had set them off and they had like gathered around, like they had been attracted to the sound of her voice and were at the edges of the set. Um, and so that was kind of like, damn, like, are we about to get attacked by 
you know, wild, you know, rabid beast, but also like, this is pretty damn cool. So yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of, there's a lot of crazy shit that happened. But uh, yeah, it's, it sounds like you were able to get through and, and film everything that was in the script and get everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there was some killing of darlings and, you know, there's, uh, you know, like shots that I wanted that I didn't get. And, you know, and, and like, you know, there's all kinds of things, but like those are, I mean, the things that I complain about that I didn't get were, were luxuries. Um, so, uh, but, uh, was, it, 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 it was very, very hard. Let me put it that way. Uh, any other like deleted scenes or uh, aside from Ben Browder ad living? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I mean, this is the director's cut. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of little things that have been trimmed out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, there's some scenes I'm very proud of and there's some like extra dialogue that I'm proud of. Um, I mean, like this film could easily have been 15 minutes longer and it just like, it's just 15 minutes of extra stuff. Some of which is good and some of which, well, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the first cut was two hours long and that's just, you know, that's just way too long, but you know, it, it, it like there, there could, e there, there's like, there, there's more of, you know, there's more of everything, but a lot of the editing process was just bringing it down to like, rather than having, you know, three jokes, all of which are good. But if you have them one up and, you know, against one another, like you get tired, like, let's just pick the best of the three jokes. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff like that that got cut out. Um, the I guess the the coolest thing that got cut like there is a little bit of animation that um, didn't get used and I, I'm holding on to that for some some special you know super duper Blu-ray thing in the future um, and uh, yeah then the, there's um yeah I'm trying, they, there's a little bit of unused uh, Tokusatsu stuff too um, but uh, yeah, I mean, no, uh, no real like. Oh my gosh, why did I cut that? Uh, no, no, no real heart editorial heartbreaks. Um, how'd you go about, uh, you know, set dressing for the '90s, like in the in the you know in the characters' bedrooms and and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, well, I've got an awesome production designer um, who you know did. Um, you know, did her homework and you know what's interesting is like the, the, you know, the, those details there that they're like a lot of it, like you got to be real careful about uh, copyrights. So if you look closely in Sean's room, you'll see a whole lot of Ultraman, um, but uh, no Godzilla. And that's because, um, you know, it's uh, Tsuburaya is uh, pretty cool with uh, <laughs> their stuff being used and, and Toho is, has an iron grip on things. So uh, it, it, you know, that, like, that was all very, very carefully planned. Um, and actually like a lot of the, like the, the drawings and the doodles, like, I mean, that's, that's all done by the art department and it's done very carefully to, you know, make sure that it doesn't step on any, any toes, um, copyright wise. Uh, yeah. So, and, and I mean, and, and there are fascinating rules about sort of like how, like 
how much something can be featured on screen and like, you know, sort of like what degree of detail and what's, you know, there's just, there's a million little details you have to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, 1999 is not all that long ago. So, uh, and not only is it not all that long ago, but like things happen in cycles and a lot of the fashions of the era have like the wheel has turned and they're coming around again. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it took some work, um, but like, you know, it's things like the, the iMac uh, that Sean uses, like that would have been expensive and state of the art at the time. But actually for the film, we got two of them used on eBay and they were like 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, it, this particular sort of vintage uh, a period piece, uh, don't get me wrong, it took a lot of work and a lot of planning, but it was, I will say, Rel not easy, but um, manageable. Uh, so, uh, what's it been like uh, working with Shout Factory? Uh, I mean, but Shout, you know, they they were, uh, you know, they were at the top of the list, um, you know, for for distributors, and because it's like they they know this market and they know this kind of film. So, um, yeah, I mean, it. it, it um, it's an interesting double-edged sword for me emotionally because on the one hand, um, they know what they're doing and like, I've been able to, you know, it's sort of like I made the film and now it's in their hands. Um, and you know, they're, those are good hands. I, I trust those hands. Um, but it's also like, this is, this is the strange thing of an independent film is like, you know, it's, there's just so much work and so much, you know, intellectual effort and emotional effort and physical effort that goes into the film. And then, uh, then once it's done, uh, the baton gets passed to other people. And, um, so it, on the, it, it, you know, it's a little bit like, Oh, golly, like my kid's going off to college, but well, it's a good college. So <laughs> I guess this is okay. Uh, there is the part of me that sort of wants to like, you know, be showing up on the campus and like peeking through the windows and like, you know, are they doing okay in class? Like, are they getting enough to eat? Um, but, uh, but, but shop's been great. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess kind of along the lines of distribution, first of all, um, uh, international releases, uh, how are, how are those planned out? That, I mean, that's, um, that's, yeah, that's something I definitely can't talk about right now. Cause okay. that, uh, cause that, that is, that is in progress. Um, and, um, I guess the short version I'll give you is the, the reason why international releases take longer and delay is because, um, it's like this game of telephone between, um, you know, like, like in between the, the producers of the film and the actual distribution agencies is like, a, is this daisy chain of sales agents and sales companies. And like, it's so it, it like, it just takes a long, a long time because like all of this communication flow has to go in between people. Um, uh, in a, yeah. So I'm sitting on a few things. Um, and I, there's a few things I, I can't talk about right now, but, uh, it, it, it suffice to say it will not only be released in uh, in the US. Okay. Uh then plans for a physical edition fingers crossed? Uh that is also um something in the works that I, I can't uh can't talk about. But uh uh yes. Cool, cool. 
Uh, well, Eric, as, as we're winding down, um, yeah. is there anything, uh, what's next for you? Are there any new projects you have in the works that you can speak about in the moment or at the, at the moment, or, um, are you, uh, still waiting to, uh, announce some things? Yeah. I mean, there's a few things that I can't, I mean, I, I've got, um, I've got several different plates that I'm juggling, um, a couple of which I can't really talk about. Um, I, uh, d- d- so yeah, so there's a couple things that are taking a lot of my energy that I just I'm, I can't talk about. Um, what I can talk about is I'm I'm working very hard on what would be a um, it is a feature length animated film, and it's a it's a personal opus. It's a big swashbuckling adventure story uh, with uh, dinosaurs and pirates and princesses and all kinds of neat stuff. Um, so that's the um, that's a big personal thing I'm working on, um, and I'm also uh, working on something that uh, among the many things that, um, I care about deeply are, uh, cats. I, uh, I don't know why, but I, I should actually rephrase that. Um, I, I don't know why, but, uh, cats, uh, cats love me. Um, and, uh, I, it seems wherever I go in the world, um, cats will like find me. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm working on what I hope will be the great movie for, uh, for cat lovers. It's a, a a a a love story between a lonely young woman and a cat um, deep in the Japanese countryside, and um, slowly, sort of strange, oddball, mysterious things uh, become afoot. All right. Um, yeah. Well, so those those are things I can talk about, but yeah, there's a bunch more that I just kind of. Okay. Well, no, I mean, we, we could sit here and, and nerd out about monsters and <laughs> all kinds of stuff for forever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as we, uh, head out, uh, where can people follow you? Is there somewhere, uh, people can follow you on social media if they are interested in, in this film or, uh, want to stay, uh, up to date with any of your creative endeavors? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm on Instagram um, at um, at Eric and Kiever. Um, I am a, a pretty uh, agnostic poster. I I'll, I will post big news um, periodically. Um, uh, I uh, but but yeah, no, I, I I'm out there, and um, uh, you can you can certainly follow me there. Um, uh, and um, if you uh, really poke around hard enough online, you will find my email and. Uh, I tend to be a, a, a softy. Uh, it, it takes some work to find my email. So when people do find my email, then um, I tend to be a softy and respond. <laughs> All right. Well, um, awesome. Well, you know, uh, thanks for joining us. Congratulations on, on uh, the movie and, and getting it out there. And um, yeah, this, this has been a, a really nice chat. Thanks again. Oh, no, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. And um yeah, uh, I, uh, I I regret that we were not able to nerd out more about uh, random uh, kaiju stuff. But um, uh, yeah, uh, just uh, for all of you who are out there wondering, my hot take is that Space Godzilla is wildly unappreciated. <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, there you go, people. Um, well, Eric, thank you. And um, yeah, uh, it's been great. So uh, and thank you, everyone at home. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.